Hello and welcome to the History of the Copts, Episode 6, Oregon and Demetrius. Today, the Coptic Church is synonymous with the Copts, and it forms the foundation of their identity, out of which everything else flows. The Coptic Church is the institution where the Copts looked for in law, societal norms, and for so many centuries, education. So how did that become to be? Of course, over the centuries, multiple events and persons led to that development. One of those events, and perhaps the first, is the story of how Pope Demetrius consolidated and expanded the Coptic Church, and as an unfortunate byproduct, Oregon, one of the most brilliant minds in early Christianity, was banished and excommunicated from the Coptic Church. It is a story of how creativity and free thought clashed with tradition and a growing church, trying to build a unified vision and a set of belief. And just like a modern-day Silicon Valley startup, the ingenuity and the abstract thinking of the founders slowly gave way to the more principled and more organized institution that will come to dominate the lives of the Copts. Before we go on to Pope Demetrius and his clash with Oregon, so let's briefly explore the wider geopolitical scene was Marcus Aurelius and Commodus. So remember last week when the clemency of Marcus Aurelius toward Cassius' family and supporter was the highlight of his trip to the east? Well, Commodus, his son and our next emperor, first act was to round up Cassius' family up and killed him. That wasn't the worst thing that he did either, just the first. By the end of his 12-year reign, he truly believed that he is Hercules, crippled the Roman economy, and tried to rename Rome and all the months of the year to correspond to his name. In Egypt, the repressive cycle of taxation and land abandonment, plus the loss of life from the Bukulic Rebellion, dealt a serious blow to the grain productivity. The Egyptian grain supply was no longer sufficient to feed Rome, and a new supply had to be procured from North Africa, which is in modern-day Tunisia. While the grip of the Romans were slipping and misery abounded in Egypt, the Coptic Church was being transformed by Bob Demetrius. In the eighth year of the reign of Commodus, Bob Demetrius was elevated. The story of his election in the Coptic tradition goes like that. In the year 188 AD, an ordinary person from a Coptic farmer stock, both illiterate and married, goes and visits Pope Julian, who was sick and dying. Pope Julian, just prior to the visit, had a dream in which an angel appeared to him and said that the man who would bring him a bunch of grapes in the morning would be Betriarch after him. And so it was. The Coptic farmer had just found some grapes that were out of season and took them to the Betriarch in his despot. Pope Julian at once told his companions about his dream and died afterward. Pope Demetrius was then elevated and earned the nickname the Vine Dressers. Whatever the events transcribed as told in the Coptic tradition or in some other way is not as important as some of the details presented in the story. For one, Pope Demetrius is identified as a Copt, which is a first in our history. This is not to say that the Briar Popes were not Copts, but they were most likely Alexandrian Greeks, 
which as we saw in the prior episodes is more of a class and legal distinction rather than an ethnic or a national nationalistic one. But we can definitely say one way or another. Opposite to that, Bob Demetrius was seen by the Egyptians as one of them, at least from the 5th century historian perspective, when the Coptic tradition was written down by an Egyptian monk named Minas. When, Bob, when Bob Demetrius was elevated, Clement of Alexandria was at his literally peak, writing and circulating his Christian teaching, trying to Christianize philosophy and rationalize Christianity. We don't know much about the relationship. It does seem that Clement was too entrenched in the Alexandrian theological scene for Bob Demetrius to try and put him under the institution of the church. Unlikely, both of them prospered in their respective circles of influence. That dynamic changed significantly when Septimius Severus visited Egypt and began, and began a brief but an intense period of persecution that led to Clement leaving Alexandria and opening the door for Bob Demetrius to put the circle of the Alexandrian philosophers and teacher under the guidance and the supervision of the church. He did so by formally appointing Oregon as the dean of the Theological School of Alexandria. Oregon, a young brilliant philosopher and a teacher of the time, gave Pope Demetrius the intellectual pedigree needed to be able to consolidate all the Christian teaching under the church, while Pope Demetrius, through the authority and the legitimacy of the throne of St. Mark, gave Oregon a wider audience and added weight to his teaching. Thus, the Coptic Church, via Pope Demetrius' efforts, began to consolidate and guide the intellectual circles of Alexandria. However, the arrangement only worked as long as Oregon was able to retain his academic freedom and was not ordained as a priest or a bishop, therefore maintaining a balance of power. Despite the intricacies of that relationship, the union between Oregon and Pope Demetrius would last for close to 32 years, thereby entrenching the association between the school and the church. But eventually they will break, and in their subsequent infighting, Oregon will be banished from Alexandria and excommunicated from the Coptic Church, leaving behind a legacy of controversy. I will go back and explore how and why the break happened. But to be able to appreciate the changes happening in Egypt at the time, I think it is worth it to explore the state of the wider events of the Mediterranean first. Commodus, through his complete failure to govern, gets assassinated on December 31st, 192 AD. What follows is a time of complete chaos known as the, known as the Year of the Five Emperor. The first emperor is Bertinax, a senator, ex-governor, and an army general who gets elevated to the imperial title first, but gets killed within three months by the troop boasted in Rome to serve as his bodyguards. Then the very same troops auction off the office of the emperor to the highest bidder, which turns out to be another senator, Didius Julianus. If only Didius Julianus knew his history, he would have known the story of Osu, an emperor only a hundred years or so, before him, who also tried to buy the imperial title, but lasted only for three months. Just like also, Didius Julianus lasted less than three months. And before he was executed, every notable Roman general with access to any number of troops declared himself emperor. 
So we'll get Claudius Albanius, who was emperor in Britain, Septimius Severus in Central Europe, and Bicinius Niger in the east with the support of Syria and Egypt. The closest of them to Rome was Septimius Severus, who marched to Italy and took control of Rome. He then offered Claudius Albanius the title Caesar and lightly promised him succession. And with his plan covered diplomatically, he was able to concentrate all of his effort on fighting Bassinius Niger in the east. He then clinically dispatched with Bassinius Niger and renegated on his promise to Claudius Albanius and also defeated him, becoming the sole master of the empire. In the struggle, the, the decreasing importance of the Egyptian grain became evident. As Severus, as soon as he took control of Rome, did not bother to secure Egypt and its grain. Rather, he concentrated on North Africa and securing the grain from there. It was no longer possible to starve Rome by controlling Alexandria, as Vespasian intended to do in the last century. Severus was able to secure all of his empire by 197 AD, and immediately after, he went to war with the Parthian Empire in modern-day Iran. The war was a success, and on his way back, he took a tour of the eastern provinces, including Egypt, around 202 AD. In his visit to Egypt, several important reforms took place that played a vital role for the Egyptians. The most important of these reforms is the institution of self-governing councils for all the norms capitals in Alexandria, thereby treating Egyptian cities as equal to Greek cities throughout the empire. The change initially was very welcome, and local pride pushed wealthy inhabitants to clamor to be on the council of their local city. The councils also took a lot of responsibilities of what used to be obligatory liturgies, making life easier for land-owning farmers and middle-class city dwellers in the process. Nonetheless, after the first generation and the breakdown of central government that will mark the next century, serving in the council came to be seen as an unwelcome burden, and cities decayed until Diocletian reformed the whole system. Shortly after Severus' visit, a Christian persecution broke out in Alexandria. While Eusebius personally holds Severus responsible, and reasonably so, as Severus, like all the emperors before him, did not have a positive outlook about Christianity and tried to prevent its spread. It does seem, however, that the persecution was driven by the prefect and the local administration in Alexandria, due to its short duration and the fact that it stopped even with Severus still in power. The two most important results of that persecution is that Clement left Alexandria and opened the door for Pope Demetrius to assert his control of the school of Alexandria. In the second, Oregon Fathers was murdered, therefore raising the profile of Oregon and his family as suffering Christians. Oregon was only 17 years old at this point, so on account of his age, he did not formally become the dean of the school of Alexandria until he was in his late 20s. But nonetheless, it does seem that he was actively teaching Christian principles and gaining fame from a very young age. As Eusebius implies that many of the famous teachers of Alexandria have escaped from the persecution, 
and as a result, Oregon became the de facto leader in teaching Christian principles in Alexandria. Only in 215 AD, the role was formally recognized by Pope Demetrius and gained the additional legitimacy provided by the association with the Bishop of Alexandria. Two additional very important developments happened as well around this time. The first of those is with the new importance and independence of the cities in the heartland of Egypt granted by Severus, and the spread of Christianity into the royal population, Bob Demetrius, either out of necessity or an exceptional vision, ordained for the first time three bishops to tend to the affair of the Copts outside of Alexandria. While he was ceding some of his authority, as those bishops could, and in time would, challenge the authority of the Bishop of Alexandria, he was also claiming for the Coptic Church the whole of Egypt, and eventually Libya and Ethiopia as well. Those bishops will in time grow in numbers and influence, and with the resentment of the upper class to serve on the city council, they will instead compete and strive to be bishops. Those bishops will then go on and represent the interests of their cities and their rural surrounding areas, and not just their religious interest, but the secular and political interest as well. So over time, and especially after Constantine and the rapid spread of Christianity, the Archbishop of Alexandria will come to be the head of an institution that claimed rightfully to represent all of Egypt. And it all began with Pope Demetrius looking toward the affairs of the Egyptian farmers and cultivating them as a power base, in opposition to the popular mantra of the day of ignoring them as hopeless and civilized, fickle group. The second development was born out of the need for those bishops to be effective missionaries. To evangelize successfully, they needed to teach and reach out to the Egyptian farmers in their native tongue, which was by this point only a spoken language, as demotic and hieroglyphics had been for the most part forgotten, so a new written language had to be devised. So the Coptic language was developed, and it became a very effective method in conveying the Bible and written Christian materials to the uneducated Egyptian farmers. Now to be completely fair, Coptic was not developed overnight. But over centuries, it was multiple attempts in creating something similar prior to Christianity, but none of them endured or had any significant usage. Only with Christianity and the Coptic Church, it was fully developed and gained widespread usage. To create Coptic, the people who devised it used the Greek alphabet plus six or seven letters, depending on the dialect, from Demotic to express the spoken language of the Egyptians. As with most other languages, the development of Coptic was a continuous evolution, so it's not necessarily easy to give an exact date when it was devised. Nonetheless, there is a preserved babyri from as early as 275 AD in a mature form of Coptic, only 40 years or so from the death of Pope Demetrius. I have posted a picture of that babyri and the podcast Facebook page for those who are interested. And thus, through the ordination of bishops for the cities of Egypt and the development of the Coptic language, the Coptic Church began to dominate the religious and secular lives of the Egyptians. 
but the battle for the minds of the Alexandrian intellectuals was only in its opening round with the union between Oregon and Bob Demetrius. As mentioned in, earlier in the episode, that union was highly effective for a long time, but around the 230s AD, toward the end of Bob Demetrius' 45 years long reign, cracks started to appear. The problem started with Oregon intellectual interest in exploring deeper matters of theology. His explorations were problematic in two fronts. The first, they distracted from the primary function of the theological school of Alexandria, which was to offer the basic education for those who wished to convert to Christianity. The second is that his writing, which some have survived until today, were highly speculative and complex, which was beyond many of those around him, including Pope Demetrius, especially if we hold on to the tradition that he was really illiterate. And just like today, and really any age, fear and rejection of what we don't understand is the most natural response. Oregon's theology was a source of tension in his time and for generations to come. So eventually, Oregon changed the school structure. He divided the teaching into basic instructions led by his students, Euraculus, remember his name, he will come back to us, and advanced studies led by him personally. It does seem that after the reorganization, the relationship between Pope Demetrius and Oregon took a dive. Oregon responded by leaving Alexandria and taking an international tour, mainly in Palestine and Arabia, where he preached and taught regularly. The story could have ended there, and the controversy would have ended, but unfortunately, Bob Demetrius went an intense letter-writing campaign, writing through his scribes if he was truly illiterate, to his colleagues in Jerusalem and Caesarea, admonishing them from allowing Oregon, a layperson, to preach while the bishop was present. They responded by supporting Oregon, and citing multiple examples where a layperson preached when a bishop was present. Bob Demetrius then tried another strategy, sending a letter by a delegation of deacons to Oregon himself, asking him to come back to Alexandria. Oregon came back briefly, but seeing that essentially nothing had changed, he left for the final time to Caesarea in Palestine. In Caesarea, he was ordained a priest and was able to set up another theological school where he was able to teach and explore the deeper theological matters that interested him the most. Bob Demetrius' reaction to his ordination as a priest was fierce, not only because of his tense relationship with Oregon, but because another bishop had intruded on his authority and ordained an Alexandrian layperson. Perhaps as a testament to the international influence of the Coptic Church at this junction, Bob Demetrius excommunicated Oregon and was also able to get the church in Rome to do the same. But the bishops of Palestine and Arabia stuck with Oregon and essentially ignored the Alexandrian and the Roman churches. Shortly after, Bob Demetrius died after more than 42 years as the head of the Coptic Church. He was followed by Bob Euraculus, Oregon's formal student and protege, who headed the School of Alexandria after Oregon's departure. Bob Euraculus would also uphold the excommunication of Oregon, 
and with Oregon out of the picture, the school of Alexandria became an inseparable part of the Coptic Church. For the next century, the Coptic papacy would be filled exclusively by the deans of the school of Alexandria, and thus the Coptic Church was able to put the Christian intellectual elites under its wing. Oregon continued with his school in Caesarea for a while after, until another persecution that led to his death. But even after his death, his school survived and prospered, eventually producing Eusebius, one of the most important Christian historians. The divide over Oregon and Pope Demetrius would never really disappear, even until now. Cops still take sides and debate who was right and who was wrong. In the spirit of that debate, I'm going to go ahead and try to address some of the historical questions surrounding the story of Pope Demetrius and Oregon. The first, and perhaps most important of those, is did Oregon fall into heresy? From the various sources addressing Oregon, I believe that the historian and Irish bishop Hansen work in the Coptic Encyclopedia addressed that question best. According to Hansen, Oregon was a devout churchman in all his life. He championed the Christian church in his books, encouraged its martyrs, preached its congregation, and on more than one occasion was called in to reconcile heretics or to convert the misled. In his own day, he was regarded by most of his friends and followers as a great Christian teacher and philosopher, and this deserved a reputation lasted long after his death. It would be quite wrong to call him a heretic. By the standard of his own day, he was not only orthodox, but a defender and an upholder of orthodoxy. It was long after his death that serious accusations of heresy were brought against him. Oregon was not only excommunicated in Roman Alexandria, but eventually by the Universal Church in a church council in Constantinople. But those excommunications were highly political in nature, rather than being based on theology. Now to be fair, if we examined his writing through our 21st century eyes, not everything he wrote is right or fits with our concept of modern orthodoxy. But then again, we will have in our sides thousands of years of theological work on ideas, and also church councils, which Oregon did not have. The back and forth argument that, that we can have justifies its own podcast. There is also out there very valid arguments why he was a heretic. I have just presented the view I am most comfortable and convinced with. The second question, did Bob Demetrius excommunicate Oregon because he castrated himself? For this one, historians are divided whether Oregon really castrated himself or not. But they're not divided that the, excommunic the excommunication had little to do with Oregon castration. After all, both Demetrius and Oregon had been close associates for more than 30 years before their break, and the castration only became an issue after their relationship deteriorated. In his writing, Oregon implies that he would be against such practice. But then Eusebius accepts the castration as true. There is really no way of finding out if it happened or not. But given the surrounding events, it would probably make no difference one way or another. 
Finally, what does the early Coptic sources say about Oregon? Unfortunately, Oregon is either completely skipped over or condemned as a heretic. In the history of the patriarchs, a valuable historical book that traces to the 5th century but was edited and added to up to the 13th century, Oregon has addressed a man who learned the science of the pagans and abandoned the books of that. In the Cynic Syrian, the, the liturgical book of the saints, Oregon is mentioned as an opposing man who wrote forbidden books and was excommunicated by Pope Demetrius. This is not to say that the view was universal, so. There were many cops who defended Oregon and his souls. In the 20th centuries, the view started to change significantly under the learning renaissance started by Bob Shenouda. A monumental book was written by Father Tedros Malati, addressed many of the controversies and the teaching of Oregon in great details. A Google search will lead you to a free English PDF version for those who are interested further. As always, feel free to reach out in the usual social media avenues for questions or feedback. Next week, our story will take a bloody turn when Alexandria will be full of dead young men and the Egyptians will become Romans, at least on paper. Also for our next week, the Coptic Church will face a growing persecution and under the fire of martyrdom, the Coptic identity will start to take shape. Farewell and until next week.